Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our session on Budget 2024. What's in it for me? Yeah, we have uh, two financial experts here with us tonight. Han, he's a certified financial planner, chartered financial analyst, ex-investment banker, ex-CEO, Ringgit Plus. And now, he's the head of Halogen Capital, Malaysia's first licensed fund manager, specializing in digital assets and innovative investing. Han, welcome to the session. Thanks. Thanks. And good evening, everyone. Yeah, we also have Mr. Sunny Hamid here with us. He's an economist and certified financial planner. He's a frequent commentator in the media and has over 30 years of experience in the financial markets. He's worked for companies such as S&P Ratings as a director in the Sovereign team, overseeing the ratings of countries such as Indonesia, India, Malaysia, and Singapore. Mr. Sunny, welcome back to the session. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, as the title of our session tonight suggests, we are going to break down Budget 2024 and its potential impacts, uh, both positive and negative to the right. Yeah. Just a quick disclaimer before we start, the things that we are going to discuss tonight should not and cannot be considered as financial advice, huh? despite the qualifications of these speakers. All right. On Friday, PM Anwar announced Budget 2024, which is yet again the biggest allocation, no surprises there, coming in at a whopping 393.8 billion ringgit compared to last year's budget of 388.1 billion ringgit. Just some quick highlights for those of you guys who have not looked into it. Uh, first of all, diesel subsidies will be cut in a phase manner. Uh, this is part of the government's plan to gradually reduce the right yard's reliance on subsidies. Next up, electricity subsidies for the top 10% of consumers will be reduced. This one was previously implemented as well. Temporary price controls on chicken and eggs will be lifted. A bit controversial, this one. Uh, and this one is already in effect. And the last one, service tax rate, SST. Uh, this one will increase from 6% to 8%. So Han, let's open this session broadly. What are your first impressions on budget 2024? Yay or nay, do you like it or is there some bad vibes coming from it? Um, wow, well, how to unpack this? I guess uh, uh, you, you would expect a budget to be the biggest every year in general because, you know, economy grows, we have to spend more inflation on that. So the, the biggest seems to be the news every year. Uh, but uh, I think for me, uh, some good moves, but a bit too halfway, meaning could have gone all the way on these good moves, right? It's a bit like, you know, you want to do something, right? You got to go all the way, go full out. You want to hit a smash on badminton. You don't hit the half smash, right? You hit a full smash kind of thing. Um, my, that's my feeling. Now. I'll, I'll explain why now like, and then I'll pass to Sunny, right? Because, I mean, most economists are saying good things. Uh, Sunny, he is an economist, so he'll, he might say some good things about it, I guess. Uh, lower deficits, always good, right? Uh, I think it's 43 projected for 24, which is on the way to the promised 3% in kind of three years' time or so. Uh, what else good? Uh, expansion of the tax base, despite uh, um, that increase uh, uh, expenditure, meaning the deficit is low, right? And how he achieved that was, you know, uh, uh, expansion of the base, uh, the tax base, SSD, GSD, CGT, capital gains tax. But also, you know, first moves towards subsidy rationalization, right? You, you mentioned diesel, chicken eggs. These are things that the market was looking for. Um, and then very targeted in spend, right? I think uh, it's very in line with the, I don't use this too much, but the Madagani concept, right? Which essentially means 
you know, you try to grow, but you try to protect the least fortunate, right? So things like, you know, uh, uh, increasing the health budget, increasing the education budget, that kind of stuff. Uh, so most economists look quite positive on it. I, I can't argue with them. Uh, but personally, I think, you know, he could have been way bolder, right? Why I say that? Uh, last year, budget 2023, got some political stuff. He, he can't do too much. Uh, but look, as of today, there's not much political considerations anymore, right? State elections are long done and dusted. You, that's the time to do real solid, go all the way reforms, right? You know, your deficit is lower, yes, but you've gotten it under four, right? I think if you got it under four, big signal to the market that he's trying to get there. Uh, probably politically okay to introduce GST at this time, right? Uh, maybe much lower. Get rid of SST. Uh, and, and GST, but start at a low rate, maybe 3%, 4%, something like that. And then last, the big one, you mentioned, did he mention subsidy rationalization for chicken, eggs, diesel? The big one not mentioned, petrol, or rather only lightly mentioned is coming. But, you know, I think for me, time to bite the bullet there. Just, if you don't think, if you want to rip the bandit off, just go halfway and then increase your kind of cash transfer, like Subbangan to Rahma. Increase it like 2x to cover the petrol stuff. So, long story short, I think good vibes, yes, but uh, it's like, you know, when you smash your badminton uh, shuttlecock, the smash, not, not, not smash enough. Uh. Yeah, definitely, there are quite a few things that can be improved in this budget. Uh. And speaking of halfway, I just want to keep you there for a while, Han. Uh, there's a lot of people saying that you know next year's budget, the Madani budget, really has nothing for the middle class. Uh, what do you think about this? Uh, I think it strongly depends on your definition of uh, of middle class, right? <laughs> um, I mean, if you uh, as in we like to say the word M forty and stuff here, right? Uh, I think uh, um, uh, what is very clear is this Madani concept of. Uh, um, we, we we need to distribute the wealth or income or distribute the gains lah from the economy from those who benefit the most, right? Which is the you know the highest income, highest wealth people, right? To the least, uh, uh, which is the the folks that really need it, um, and yeah, so middle people, sorry, I, 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 the, the middle income people, M forty middle class, what you call it, will will we'll see not much because it's it's really a focus of transferring that from from kind of uh, high to low. Uh, but there, there's a little exception there. Like uh, I think it's a case of uh, by increasing SST, like he's saying like, look, like uh, we we all need to be in this together. Um, so that's why I'm doing that. Uh, but I'll protect the poor, uh, the the, the low income people with with exclusions on things like food and telco and parking and things that you do day to day. But like everything else, we're gonna increase. So for me, that's kind of uh, uh, what I'd say is you know if you're middle class. Yeah, he's done. He's he's gone some way for you, but for the rest of it, he's he's gone only half the way, like He's gone the full way through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, let's move over to Mister Sunny. Mister Sunny, same question. Mm-hmm. Uh, opening impressions on budget twenty twenty four, yay or nay? Good vibes, bad vibes. Um, looks good. I think um, had a, I mean, PM had a lot of ground to cover. Um. You know, sometimes when um, that happens, I, I saw on Twitter, I saw on TikTok, 
people are actually complaining that you know there wasn't anything for for uh, family with children in terms of I think grants or or something to to do with education grants and such. Someone came in, other people came in to say, look, actually it's there. If you look through the actual document, it's actually increased from last year. Um, it's just that it wasn't mentioned. So I think um um, um hiding within that 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 thick document, the budget document itself, um, there's a lot of things for everybody. And um, even though people mention, as you said, there's nothing much for the M40, you must remember that the targeted subsidies itself um, means, um, by and large, uh, in my view, many M40s which may be previously using that one-dimensional salary as, as, as the criteria once you change it to basically per capita household, including where you stay and such, uh, you'll find a lot of the M40s will fall probably within uh, more advantageous categories which will be subsidized more highly. So I think many more M40s will find themselves being more subsidized when the targeted subsidies are introduced. So they will benefit from that perspective, although it's not clear 100% in the budget uh, because they never decipher how they're going to do the, the targeted subsidies, but eventually the M40s will benefit. So all in all, I think it's 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 a it's a good budget. Which you know, with all budgets, my main peeve is basically the delivery. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, potentially the amount of leakages, because for many many years, we've seen on paper um, very good allocation to all the necessary sectors, infrastructure, uh, you name it, healthcare, education, all the necessary sectors itself. But a lot of times the things that fall short is actually when the projects are implemented. Um, number one, you probably get very high leakages. Number two, you probably get very bad delivery in terms of quality and that has its own problems and such. Um, so hopefully with the current government's focus on, on these aspects, um, I hope that basically um, we will get to see the, the increase in productivity um, that comes with all these kind of necessary spending itself. Yeah. And to top it up, um, as, as Han has said, I'm an economist, so, um, and especially coming from, from used, since I used to work for S&P ratings, where, where fiscal uh, conditions are, are, are what we look at, uh, so I'm quite happy that you know, you know, right prior to the budget, they had the Fiscal Responsibility Act. Um, in the budget itself, the fiscal deficit has been reduced um, and there now is this so-called um, framework whereby not only this government, hopefully future governments will have to adhere to in order to ensure that Malaysia doesn't go down the same path uh, as we've seen in the U.S., where the fiscal situation there is deteriorating very rapidly. It is leading to huge issues that we're starting to see. We can talk about that later. Uh, but hopefully with, with uh, this, this framework, uh, with the new fiscal discipline, uh, that would definitely, even though it may be short-term pain, definitely lead to uh, what I think will be long-term benefits. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of uh, first impressions, right? the market reaction of budget 2024 is uh, quite positive. I say with a pinch of salt uh, because uh, right now I'm taking a look at the FBM KLCI chart and uh, we did see quite a comeback 
It rallied by almost 2% in the past few days. But as for the ringgit, yeah, um, we'll talk more about that later. Okay, it's a whole other can of worms. Uh, but Han, how have the markets been reading Madani's budget, the Madani budget, sorry? How have investors been looking at this? Uh, because looking at the markets at first glance, right, is it a positive reaction that we are seeing? Yeah, I think um, in terms of what the market thought about Madani, or oh, sorry, Budget 2024, I'm going to start using that word. Um, uh, best, best to describe it as lukewarm, right? So what I mean by that is you look at the KLCI from Friday, yeah, it literally is flat on Friday, right? It's 1444 last Friday, today is 1442 close. So literally flat, flattish, right? Um, in terms of government bonds, so you look at MGS, um, you know, uh, increase in yields, or increase in, you know, the MGS rates. Uh, that's probably more to, uh, more towards a response to US, US dollar treasuries rather than specifically budget 2024. Uh, but but yeah, so again, a slight increase only, so lukewarm, I guess. And you mentioned it just now, right? Uh, ringgit, probably the worst hit in the past week. Uh, we were at 472, I think, before budget 2024. Today, we're at 477, 25-year uh, low, right? So with those three data points, I'd say uh, lukewarm to slightly negative, I would say, uh, uh, to the budget. Uh, perhaps, you know, there's more uh, uh, other things to worry about in markets and, and or other, let me rephrase, uh, the, the budget did nothing too shocking that would have moved markets up or down uh, for us uh, and, you know, probably more external factors like uh, the, 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 the war uh, in Europe and the Middle East, you know, uh, US situation with, with its, all the, the numbers coming, coming out of the US the past week, uh, more of an impact on our local markets than the budget itself. So that's what I mean by, you know, if, if it went too far one way, I think markets might have reacted uh, positively, you went too far the other way, it would have been negatively. But you will go halfway, so you get a half, halfway response. Pretty lukewarm, I'd say. Yeah, just like your first impressions on uh, the next year's budget, like you said, somewhere in the midpoint, right? Um, Mr. Sunny, same question. Markets, how have they been reacting to the next year's budget? Positive, negative impacts? Uh, well, the ringgit is, is definitely something that it's very hard to use as an indicator. It tends to be uh, dictated more by uh, other factors itself. Um, you know, just purely the budget itself, even year after year, typically you don't see a reaction uh, from the ringgit. You probably would potentially see a reaction um, from the KLCI or KLSE, which, which supposedly is more sensitive to the budget because all the various sectors are looking forward to the goodies, to the tax cuts, to the grants, and, and so on and so on. So so the KLCI, typically speaking, it should be the more sensitive um, um, indicator with respect to the budget itself. Um, I think Hans correctly point, pointed out that since the budget has announced, um, it's not gone, uh, markets have not gone anywhere. Um, however, um, if you look at the stock market and if you believe that the stock market tends to discount things ahead of its announcement, um, then the prior three or four sessions before the budget itself, um, the KLC has had, had actually gone up quite quite a lot, in fact. Um, uh, a lot meaning to say that uh, if you just look maybe on the 9th of October, I'm mean, just looking at the chart now, the 8th of October, um, you know, um, 
the the KLCI rose um how many percent here? I think it's about minus almost two percent, right? Yeah. So so that in itself could be uh potentially uh, indication that that people were front running the budget as usual, pricing in all the uh, all the good good stuff. The fact that the the KLCI didn't pull back thereafter meant that they were happy. The market was happy with it. Potentially, it could be read that way. Uh, but again, uh, who's to say? Uh, this is all just what we think uh, happened. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on into some brass tacks over here uh, and talk about the elephant or chicken in the room, pun intended. Ceiling prices for both chicken and eggs have been lifted. Uh, citizens, they are quite. We are quite unhappy about this, lah. Okay, because uh, at the end of the day, we may have to pay more for these necessities. And there are also accusations that these farmers will purposely set prices high to increase their profits. But the government says that this move is to allow market forces to gradually rebalance the supply and demand for these necessities. Yeah, Mr. Sunny, you're the economist. What do you think? Uh, are there any pros and cons associated with this decision? And uh, could this trigger an overall surge in prices or not? The measures itself, I think you did mention earlier the word temporary measures. So the measures were always meant to be temporary. Um, so the thing about the market, or rather the thing about the, the uh, I'll call it the masyarakat, the community, <laughs> or rakyat, is once you always give them a ceiling and you cap something, taking it away is quite painful or, or people will make noise. Lah. Okay. <laughs> Um, but you must understand that you know you cannot have. But this is a government which is trying to move away from setting prices, from giving subsidies in this manner, um, artificially putting a cap on prices. Um, if prices go up, then again the government has to fork out more. Um, at the end of the day, it doesn't benefit anybody because while you may be enjoying lower prices now, the fact that the government has to fork out more and more and more, um, at the end of the day, that's taxpayers' money. Okay, so so I think in this instance itself, um, allowing market forces to dictate uh, after okay, I, I, first of all, I have to say when things get a little bit uh, excessive. Yes, the government should come in and, and, and help out. But when things stabilize, then they should move away. And I think people should then say, okay, fine. Uh, I mean, that's what they were in for in the first place, just to, to intervene very much like Bank Nagara intervened during uh, wild times, you know, on the ringgit or in prices. Uh, but now moving away, um, allowing the market to set it, um, I think that is the way to go. The thing now that the government should be focusing on is to to ensure that market mechanisms are smooth, that there is no hoarding of these kind of goods, that the industry itself is not monopolized by certain uh, parties, that the supply chain for 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 this eggs and 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 ayams or whatever the case is is free flowing. Once you ensure that this is in place, then theoretically speaking, by right. It should if it's if it if prices are high, it should attract more players to come in. It should attract even more supply from from existing players itself. And at the end of the day, with the increased supply, you know, prices ought to come down. You know, uh, so I think that is the best way. I think that is actually the correct way. And I think what they've done is 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 correct in my in my view, 
Yeah, it's all about uh, removing the band aid, right? Yeah, Re gradually reducing the rakyat's uh, reliance on blanket subsidies. And I really like the point where you mentioned, uh, yes, it will lead to higher prices initially, but then supply and demand, right? It will attract more players to come into the industry and then the supply will increase and then we will uh, naturally see the prices of eggs and chicken rebalance itself. Uh. Uh, Han, same question over here. Uh, removal of price ceilings for eggs and chicken. What do you think? Are there any pros and cons with this decision? Uh, could it trigger an overall surge in prices or not? I'm not sure about search as a result of uh, the ceiling itself. I guess uh, there we do have a risk of a surge if the input costs of chicken or eggs, like things like the feed, right, the soybeans, the the corn, right, all those spiked up during the Ukraine uh, 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 conflict, right. Uh, so if that occurs again, then we will certainly see chicken prices spike, right. I think Sunny, you're sitting in Singapore, so you have seen that. You know, 12 months ago, 18 months ago, <laughs> yes. we didn't see that here. Uh, what we saw instead was uh, uh, with the subsidy ceiling, right, ceiling price. But then what cost, that, what that cost us was uh, uh, the government realized that subsidies actually cause disruptions in supply. Why? Because uh, uh, chicken feed or uh, the, the stuff that we feed the chicken to make them grow fat, uh, start, the prices of those spiked during the Ukraine war. And then uh, those guys, the, the chicken broilers, realize, hey, I can't make money because of the price ceiling. The government says, I'll give you subsidy. But then if the subsidy takes three to six months to come to, to get reimbursed, then I, I'm, I'm, I'm out of pocket. Might as well I don't grow the chickens. Or rather, might as well I stop rearing for a while. And then causing massive you know, supply issues. I think some of the people uh, on this space might remember last year, or actually earlier this year slash last year, right? In the news, just no chicken, no chicken no eggs, etc. Why? Because uh, of, of this kind of artificial uh, uh, price ceiling that, that caused the, 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 the opposite thing to happen. What's worse than expensive chicken, right? No chicken. Um, so personally, I think there might be short-term profiteering. Um, you know, there might be some pressure for the government to, you know, really uh, enforce the Price Control Anti-Profiteering Act. Uh, but yeah, I agree, Sunny. Market forces should stabilize over time. It's a very commoditized item. A chicken is a chicken is a chicken. Uh, a great A egg is a great A egg is a great A egg. A great B egg is a great B egg is a great B egg. Uh, in fact, today chicken due to the feed, the, the chicken feeds price going down recently. Chicken actually is mar being marketed or being sold below the ceiling price. So, uh, arguably, no ceiling price or ceiling price or no ceiling price doesn't even impact uh, uh market. Why? Because if indeed these guys were just profiteering, they just price it at the ceiling price today. Uh, but because there seems to be uh, oversupply of chicken at the moment because the feed has gone down, the cost of feed has come down. Uh, so these guys are just competing and it actually if they priced it at 940, which is a seeding price, 940 per kg, then they would sell a lot less chicken than those guys pricing it today at 840. Right? So uh, market is already functioning today, even with the seeding price. Uh, and I see no reason why the market won't function tomorrow without the, the, the seeding price. Yeah. So there's actually no cause to panic over here. I think the rakyat may be overacting, uh, overreacting a bit. I myself, I was a bit shocked when they decided to remove the price ceilings. But now when you talked about it, about the uh, natural market forces, and for chicken at least, right, uh, the ceiling, the current price is much lower than the ceiling price. Uh, but for eggs, we may see a slight spike up in price. But at the end of the day, you know, supply and demand will gradually balance out 
and we will uh, adjust to a new price. All right, uh, let's move on to the next detail of budget 2024. This one is also a tough one. SST increase. Yeah, the service tax is going to be increased from 6% to 8% next year. Uh, this is part of the government's plan to increase their revenue. <laughs> now, this increase will not affect food and beverages, uh, F&Bs, as well as telecommunications. But some believe, actually a lot of people believe, that the costs will eventually transfer to consumers because logistics and other supply chains, they will be affected. So, uh, Han, what are your thoughts on this? And uh, there are some people proposing to bring back GST as well. I think just now you also talked about it. Yeah, so what are the overall impacts? Yeah, I think, I don't know, like um, most people like celebrated when GST gone, right? But then they realized they went to McDonald's and they were still paying SST. Um, or, or they went to somewhere and they, isn't it like, hey, I thought we got rid of this. Um, but it, it, that's not the case, right? In fact, you look at the... Uh, the revenue from SST is not too far away from what where GST was. Uh, I think they projected SST to be thirty three billion next year. Uh, at its peak, GST was maybe forty five or so billion. So a bit more lah, yes. But ultimately, like it's not a massive, massive uh, uh, difference in terms of revenue to the government. You are still paying this tax. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, the the number that then stands out the most is this eight percent. We've never had this kind of eight percent uh figure, right? Uh, 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 anchored to our minds now, right? Um, and and for me, yeah, it will it would increase prices for those companies where 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 transport costs or logistics costs are a large part of their cost structure, right? And, and you think about it, right? For all the government saying about exclusions, they are expecting, or economists or or tax people, tax experts are calculating. Uh, to, to have extra something like 1 or 2, 3 billion ringgit of revenue next year from this SSD increase. Uh, but I don't know, I'm thinking, why would, why would, uh, why would we anchor uh, this 8% number? It seems large for, for people who are complaining about 6% 6 GST. Uh, my kind of spider sense is telling me that this could be a precursor to GST next year at 3-4% saying, hey look, we're having we're going from 8% SST to 3-4% GST, look how good we are. Um, that's just kind of my, not spidey sense, uh, kind of my, my crystal ball. I, I don't know if I'll be right or not, but it makes sense if, if they increase it first to then discount it later. Uh, it's like those, those, those companies who do discounts, right, and they increase the price first and then half price later on a higher price. Uh, so yeah, so for me, look, it's, it's not revenue neutral, right? It's going to be increasing. So that's going to be impact for sure. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just to put you on the spot there, uh, what are the differences between GST and SST? Can you just really quickly explain it for people who don't really understand? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, uh, I'm going to get this wrong because I'm not a tax expert. Uh, I'm not trained in tax. But, um, you know, uh, uh, they, they say GST is a much more... Uh, 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 fairer because fairer tax because it affects every single level and then you can you can claim back the GST that you get charged based on your input cost right uh, what I mean by that is let's say you are a restaurant you charge six percent GST and, and then you also buy food right and you 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 already you buy raw items food and stuff like that and and you pay GST on those things so the GST difference or rather the, the you can claim back the GST uh, uh, that you've paid from the your customers having paid that six percent GST so you as a uh, restaurant owner or whatever only pay uh, GST on the difference, right? So it's it's kind of a, a, a it's, it's a multi layer or the uh, multi steps in the supply chain that allow for two things: one, 
very transparent, right? Because I can see how much you're buying, I see how much you're claiming back, I see how much you're selling, right? Uh, versus SSD, which is a little more opaque. Why? Because uh, you uh, on the S side, the first S sales, uh, um, you you experience it, but then there's no way for you to 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 claim it back later. So you just pass it on, right? Um, and then on the on the service tech side, that 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 works similar to GST lah. So that's one difference. One is uh, I I'm I'm getting the terminology wrong, but um, uh, multi step multi step versus single step, and then it's gone. You can't see it. And the second difference is the coverage, right? SSD only covers maybe thirty five. I think they they came out and said the number thirty five or thirty six thirty six percent of items that are bought or sold, uh, services and goods stuff. Right, whereas GST was closer to seventy to eighty percent, so the coverage of items was much larger. So that's the two differences, uh, the large ones, like big differences, uh, to note. Mm. Okay, okay. So the uh, transparency part is the uh, what what we need to take away, like, Okay, could be one of the reasons why the government may look to re-implement GST next year. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I think they just need to um, they just need to bite their bullets, sorry, bite their tongue yeah. and say, look, like, like, I know we were not very against, you know, we were against GST, it was an election promise, it was a political scoring point against the previous, 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 sorry, how many previous? Five previous government, uh, um, the, the, Najib, the Najib administration, right? But now you guys just bite your tongue and say, yeah, it is better, but tell you what, we won't do it at 6%, we'll do it at 3 to 4 Right, so the pain is lower, right? And then actually, like, we're going to make it revenue neutral, which means I'll, I'll prove to you that I'm not just taxing you more, right? I'm just making it a fairer tax. I'll, I'll make it revenue neutral for the first year, right? Uh, rather than revenue accretive, means I won't charge you more than what we're taking with SSD, so it should be fine, right? Or rather, it, sh it shouldn't be too inflationary for everybody. Uh, so, yeah, lah. so that's kind of what I would say about that. Yeah, all right. Okay, uh, Mr. Sunny, same question. Uh, SST, 6% to 8% next year, uh, part of the government's plan to increase their revenue. Mm. What are your thoughts on this? And uh, GST, should they bring it back? Um, most countries in the world have uh, adopted GST. Um, again, I think there are many other people who would be better than me to explain uh, the benefits of it. Um, in Singapore, just to let you know, we've been having GST from, I can't remember when, all I know is next year is going to go up from 8 to 9%. <laughs> so they've kind of like already prepped us uh, here. I've been receiving SMSs from, from um, certain subscribers, or rather, sorry, certain companies which I subscribe to. I'll give you an example. I, I rent my car um, and really just a couple of days ago, in fact, yesterday, I, uh, I received a WhatsApp from the, um, the, the leasing company. Uh, Dear sir, just to let you know, Next year, January onwards, we're going to increase. Uh, yeah, the the GST is going to increase from eight to nine percent. So this will be included in your in your payment or your install or your so called your rental payment, uh, lease payment next year itself. Um, so it's really from 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 a, a, a economist point of view, from someone who again looks into into these kind of things, uh, especially in my previous job. Um, Governments need governments are like households. They need to they need to budget. They need to ensure that there is enough revenue. Okay. Already, we are seeing Malaysia having budget deficits for the longest time. Um, the the need to increase. No government really wants to do. Do you ask any government? Do you want to increase taxes? Do you want to increase this kind of uh, SST? Do you want to introduce GST? If they 
had a chance, most most governments would say no. It's politically, you lose political points. Some people may go to the extent to say that it's political suicide to, to do this because you're just making the right yet unhappy. So it's really out of necessity that governments have to do this because otherwise they can't sustain their budgets. Um, and you must remember that budgets are, uh, uh, you know, you need money to run a country. You think your 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 police, your ambulances, your one dollar, your, your one ringgit um, hospital, hospital fees. Do you think all of this just comes out of nowhere? No, it really comes out from the budget. It comes out from, from what the government gets from the rakyat turns it around and then makes allocation based on what it thinks is necessary. Okay? Um, and all these public services, everything is a function of, of, of revenue gathered. So when there is an increase in SST, for example, I'm pretty sure it was something which they thought long and hard, again, because it's something, if it's not necessary, let's not antagonize the riot. No one's going to like us for that. But it, they must have felt that it's absolutely necessary. Um, otherwise, you would see, uh, let's say, for example, and I don't think anybody's done the math here. Otherwise, we wouldn't have seen a budget deficit which is lower than that of last year, maybe. So, I feel it's a necessary thing to do. They, or rather, I feel they were compelled to do it because they felt it's necessary. Eventually, if they introduce GST, again, it will be like many countries in the world today. Um, they do so because they feel that it's a, probably a fairer, a much more... A sustainable model and true enough if that is the case fine i think everybody just have to remember that you know things are not free whether it's subsidies whether it's public goods and such um, the government has to raise money uh, to do so having said that uh, i just wanted to say in singapore itself when the gsd was introduced there was very strong communication with the public the reasons for it and especially how they could eventually reduce some, let's say, income tax, how more people would fall within the bracket of those who don't need to pay income tax or, or who pay lower income tax. Why? Because now there's another source of revenue that they have. So all of this, I think, is necessary. Otherwise, there's this whole misconception, misperception uh, about GST, and, and there seem to be more negatives to it than positives, which I think uh, needs to be balanced out yeah, uh, just to keep mm -hmm. you there, Mr. Sunny, will the SST increase to 8% uh, lead to a corresponding increase in overall prices as well? What do you think? You know, inevitably, some, some businesses will try and take advantage of it. And this is really where, where, again, I keep falling back to the government's role is to ensure that the mechanics, to ensure, uh, mechanics behind all of this um, flows properly. Okay. Um, again, it's back to ensuring that no, uh, um, the the economy, um, most sectors as far as possible, keep them open, allow for easy access of firms. Okay, allow for 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 <clears throat> uh, anti hoarding, anti monopoly uh, types of 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 uh, characteristics. You know, because once you allow that, then you can imagine, and I'm talking from an economic point of view, is that any sector where there are what we call above normal profits, super normal profits, you attract firms to come in. 
when firms come in, they produce. And when they produce, basically your super normal profits get eroded and you just take home what we call normal profits. Um, so that mechanism is the best mechanism around because it doesn't require governments to come in to set prices and such, which it's just really not sustainable in the long term. So as long as you ensure that the markets are free, uh, there, are no, there are no hindrances, there are no resistances to prices being flexible, um, then yes, then I think that is actually... So you may have some short-term pain where, where, where people try and be funny, uh, but what we call the so-called uh, the administration or rather the so-called um, the regulators will have to come in strongly, send a strong signal that they don't, they don't, uh, uh, they don't like these kind of things happening. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's talk about the next important thing. Okay, the government is also gradually phasing out diesel subsidies in order to reduce the rakyat's reliance on them. Uh, what do you think, Han? Is this a good move? Do we, you know, just now, just now you also talked about it, right? Uh, we expect petrol subsidies to sooner or later follow this move as well. And uh, just, just what are your general thoughts on this? Uh? I mean, three general thoughts, right? The first I said earlier already, which is a bit half-hearted, right? Um, but I suppose more voting public use petrol rather than diesel, right? Uh, diesel is more for, you know, uh, businesses, companies, corporates, and yeah, some, some, some car owners, and, but it's really more for trucks, uh, boats, uh, uh, vans, trucks, boats, uh, um, lorries, you know, using diesel. Uh, so for me, I think the the main objective, the second thing like to say is that uh, what they noticed last year was uh, uh, only I think uh, a uh, increase of two or three percent in terms of diesel uh, 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 car movements uh, year on year, but you know amount of diesel bought and sold was you know forty percent higher. So what they're saying is, look, there is clearly some sort of profiteering happening where people are buying diesel cheap in Malaysia, subsidized and selling it. Uh, on a boat somewhere or, or across the border somewhere to foreigners right so for me that's kind of we're subsidizing other people right which is not not the point of a subsidy so we start with that first um i think it's fine right i think but the the the, the couple of things to note is look like a lot of companies operate on diesel right uh, what i mean by that is you're thinking of manufacturing they have a gen set diesel power uh, you're thinking of uh, uh, uh you know uh, logistics or large trucks uh, moving things around, right? Diesel, uh, boats, like you know, fishing boats. Uh, uh, I don't say cruise ships, because like, then I'll get crucified for that. But like you know, uh, people like fishing boats and 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 basically economic activities on the water, diesel. So, uh, in fact, I believe uh, floating diesel will have a greater inflationary impact than SST, uh, because it it really really is a big driver of the value chain, right? Uh, supply chain that we have. Um. I believe that the Lord, there are certain groups uh, that will still enjoy the diesel subsidy. Um, so I think those, uh, I, I read something about logistic companies and, and some other groups will still enjoy. Uh, whereas it will be taken away from, from the rest, or at least, again, maybe it's going to be targeted subsidies and so on. Um, what I want to say is basically, 
Okay, diesel is very specific to a lot of businesses and such, and petroleum is more petrol is more of the the man on the street and such. But specific to the businesses, uh, the subsidies that are given by the government to the businesses itself effectively means that the rakyat is subsidizing business profitability. That means businesses which gain from paying lower diesel prices, for example, okay, actually we, the rakyat, or rather, since I pay taxes here, I don't, <laughs> but the rakyat in Malaysia, basically, you are actually contributing to every single dollar of profit if that company is making a profit because it does, that company doesn't have to pay diesel at market price. So do you want to continue to subsidize and 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 allow businesses, business owners, shareholders, which you don't even have a single share in, to actually make money from subsidized diesel. You know, so if you think of it from that perspective, it gives you a different viewpoint that actually business we, we the riot by and large shouldn't be subsidizing. The business should run as it is as a, a, a profit and loss center taking on risks. Uh, um, if market prices of diesel is 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 high, that should be part and parcel of your costs. And if you cannot handle that, um, then you shouldn't be operating. You know. So I'll give you an example. I've, I've met a few businessmen previously before and They've told me, for example, they've, they, 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 they interact with international markets and such. And some of them were quite blunt to me to say that, you know, if not for the fact that I have received some subsidies from the Malaysian government in terms of diesel or, or energy or this and that, it's going to be very hard for me to actually compete. So our some of our companies, and I presume some local companies in Malaysia, without these kind of support, potentially may not even have, be able to survive. And that is not how it ought to be. Because companies ought to stand on their own feet and compete on their own feet um, um, and not be supported by, 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 the, by the consumers and by the riot itself. So I think it's a good move. It will bring some pain in the beginning when, when they try and raise prices to make up for it and so on. But I'm going back over and over again to the fact that as long as the markets are open, as long as there's an ability for for people to come in if to to improve and 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 and, and supply to to other companies to take over, eventually things will settle itself. You know, it's really we don't want to distort the markets by providing subsidies, by by by, by having monopolies, by setting prices, and so on. Yeah, so I think that is the way I was look at it. Yeah, uh, now that you mentioned it, right, the profiteering of diesel is really a huge issue. Uh, Han mentioned just now that businesses are buying diesel in huge quantities and then exporting them elsewhere illegally at a much higher price. So, uh, and we the right, yeah, are actually paying for that, right? Because the tax money goes into the budget. Then after that, uh, since the government allocates the subsidies, we are essentially giving these companies the profits. So that is not what we want to do at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah I think it's inevitable, right? Uh, if you remove the subsidy, right, then 
naturally uh, uh, um, uh, perhaps not specific businesses but uh, uh, significant amount of businesses will, uh, will, will experience cost increases right which we, they will then have to pass on to consumers uh, for me that's kind of inevitable but it's the kind of thing we need to do right and then for us uh, for me that's why I said earlier right we could have just done it for petrol as well bite the bullet rip out the band aid right and, and then uh help the consumer or help the rakyat by 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 uh, increasing the sumangan tuai rahmat right uh, uh cash transfers to 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 cushion that blow right uh, and and for me they really need to rebrand that thing better i can't even pronounce it properly maybe it's just my the way my tongue is uh, uh, speaking that word, Subangan Tunai Rahma. Just call it like Subangan Implasi or something, right? Or Subangan, you know, subsidy replacement, whatever. Um, uh, so then people know, okay, I'm getting this cash transfer because now my petrol is 350, my diesel is kind of 380, whatever, right? And then they can tie the kind of cash, cash transfer they get to that, that increase. Uh, so for me, that's kind of just my thoughts on the matter, lah. Mm, yeah, definitely. Uh, and at the end of the day, I think we both agree that, uh, I mean, we all agree that short-term wise, the cost will definitely transfer to, to the consumer, but you know, long-term, it may be just a good policy. Okay, uh, let's shift gears a bit, take a look at the budget's impact on inflation. Now, just now, we really talked a lot about the removal of subsidies, right? price ceilings of eggs and chicken as well as diesel, and then the increase in SST as well, right? And then we always come back to the same point, saying that it will uh, lead to price increases temporarily. So what are the impacts on inflation? Do we expect it to tick up next year? Because Anwar, when he you know, unveiled the budget, next year's budget, he says that, hey, you know, inflation is probably going to tick up, average 32 to 3.6%. Now, the overall CPI as of August in Malaysia state level at 2%. Uh, smack bang at Bank Nagara Malaysia's target goal. But with the new budget, you know, if inflation makes a comeback, will it force Bank Nagara Malaysia to keep interest rates higher for longer? Yeah, it's a tough question. I think Han, you go first. Um, can't really predict what's going to happen, but put it this way, if um, the, the the kind of budget causes like a little spike in January, February, and it's like a one-time spike and then it just, and then levels off after that, I, I don't mean level off as in Prices stay the same, but I mean level off as in okay, the rate of change uh, remains at 2% after that one-time shift. So one-time shift will drive it up, let's say, 2.5, 3.5. And then Ben Nagara watches it for a month or two and says, okay, it's just that one-time thing. There's no further kind of wage price drive spiral or anything. Then they might decide, hey, look, like, well, let's just hold it here. Uh, but if it stays elevated, if inflation, uh, not prices, if inflation stays elevated, meaning like they're seeing like, hey, look, like it's not just this one-time shift up. Uh, we're getting uh, consistently month-on-month, you know, 0.4, 0.5, uh, 0.3, 0.4, 0.5 uh, uh, every month, which leads to 3, 4, 5% inflation. Then then we need to do something about it. That's when they'll move upward. So that's kind of my long and short of it. Okay, okay. Uh, Mrs. Sunny, also same question. Um, what do you think about this budget's impact on inflation? Uh, if it makes a comeback, will it force Bank Nagara Malaysia to keep rates higher for longer? Unless it, the budget is a pretty uh, normal budget from, in fact, the, the fiscal deficit is, 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 is smaller. 
budgets tend to be inflationary if you if they have fiscal deficits which are kind of run away. Um, then that causes excessive what we call uh, aggregate demand in, in, in the economy because you're giving out too much, too many goodies and, and, and so on. Um, but in this case, I don't think so. I think the budget itself is probably neutral and I think inflation when it's targeting, like you mentioned, what, 3-odd percent, that sounds like the right number historically for inflation. Um, and I think basically what we will find is... Um, I can't recall where the three-month rates are for for Malaysia, uh, but you'll find that we'll we will normal we'll see rates normalize, which means that if inflation is about three two I mean three percent, you'll find that maybe the uh, twelve-month rate on Malaysia will be four and a half, maybe five around there. Which these were things prior to to GFC, these were normal normal stuff. Finding inflation at three, finding your fixed deposit rate at four and a half, five percent. Uh, so therefore you had a real real interest rate or real return on your on your on your on interest real real positive real interest rates. Um, I think we're going back to that, hopefully, uh, because that would that then mean we have normalized from a very abnormal situation uh, which has been the case at least for the past 10, 10 over years. Um, inflation, at the end of the day, probably will be driven by other things outside of the budget. Um, you know, uh, I'm very worried about how certain countries are putting export bans on either rice or, or sugar or this and that, you know, due to climate change and such. Um, so those are probably going to be drivers of inflation rather than the budget. Mm. Okay, so probably we, we may see, just like Han mentioned just now, we may see inflation ticking back up, but uh, that may just be a short-term thing. Uh, but if it does stay you know, higher for longer, then at the end of the day, it probably could you know, force Bank of Ground Malaysia to uh, keep interest rates higher for longer. Okay, now we are on to our, our final but most intriguing question, the ring it. Yeah, uh, things are not looking good. Like, actually, they're quite bad. As of this morning, our local note surpassed its November 2022 low, officially at the lowest level since the Asian financial crisis in 1998. Yeah, this morning, I think went as low as 4.77. Just now Han mentioned it also. Uh, what is going on over here? Han, I think I'll pass the question to you first. Is the conflict in the Middle East the only reason for the ringgit's weakness? Hmm. Um... Good question. I think a couple of things there, right? Uh, I think we can't say it's just one thing or another thing. I do think a uh, reaction to the budget is a little a little to do with that, right? So I, I don't want to say it's half. I would say, let's say 10, 20, 30% of that impact the ringgit weakness. Uh, why do I say that? Because actually ringgit has weakened not just against US dollar and say US dollar strong, right? It's also, uh, we look at it, ringgit's weakened against uh, pretty much every major currency and every regional currency here. So perhaps there's a little bit of ringgit stuff in that. Uh, but yeah, in general, uh, the bigger part of the move, say 80, 70, 80% of the move is external, uh, meaning nothing to do with us, uh, all to do with, I would say, you know, uh, 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 flight to safety, sure. Uh, yeah, uh, folks who are, uh, worried about the wars that are happening the last kind of past 
week and a half has really, really escalated, right? So flight to safety, US dollar, always good. Uh, well, uh, always so far good. Uh, and given the, the numbers coming, coming on the US, economic strength, inflation starting to come down, GDP looking looking up, you will find a good print in, I think, next week's release uh, for the US. Rates are high. If you're a yield hunter, why would you go for emerging market at 3 point something percent when you can get, you know, 5.5 uh, in US dollar terms, right? So you sell your stuff, you sell your local stuff, buy some US dollars, go into the US market, get higher yields and safer or supposedly for a for an international investor safer, right? So in short, uh, a little bit due to kind of maybe lackluster, uh, not much, uh, not, not feeling great about the budget, not super bad, but like not feeling super good. Uh, but mostly it's, it's externalized, US dollar based, uh, all the things I said. Lah. Yeah, you also previously talked about uh, the yields or so, right? And uh, I, like, I like that you really give a very simple example. Imagine a scenario between two banks. Yeah? Bank A gives you 3% per annum for your FDs, right? While Bank B gives you 5.5% per annum. Yeah, assuming that both banks well capitalized, where will you place your money for a fixed deposit? Obviously, Bank B. So this is the key reason why we are seeing the uh, ring it weaker, weaken so much uh, just this year and last year alone because the rates in Malaysia compared to the US, yeah, there's really a huge difference over there. Okay, so uh, Mr. Sunny, let's tackle the same question. Ring it not looking mm-hmm. good. Um, what's going on over here? Conflict in the Middle East is it the only reason for the local notes' weakness? Um, let's. I mean, the headlines are, are, are scary when you when you see what 20, 25 year low or something like that um, against the dollar since the uh, crisis itself. Um, that tends to capture one's attention, but we mustn't forget that if we look around the region, for example, uh, Indonesia, where the rupiah is now trading roughly about nearly to near to sixteen thousand. To the dollar, um, it is at the doorstep of the its own crisis high of seventeen thousand. Bank Indonesia has been intervening in the rupiah market. Bank Indonesia was has had also come up with a special Bank Indonesia certificate in order to try and entice inflows come to come back into Indonesia in order to be supportive of 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 the rupiah itself. If you look over, for example, at the at the Philippines, the Philippine peso is also at the doorstep of what we call the uh, historical highs, highs not seen since the post-1998 crisis itself. Uh, of course, albeit we have a few currencies which have been doing slightly better or better, uh, Sing is better, uh, Thai baht hasn't gone up to, to the post highs, but again, all in all, there are currencies out there which are in a similar situation with the ringgit. I'm not saying that the ringgit itself doesn't have its own problems, problems, but it's by and large dollar strength. It's by and large, you will see this dollar strength manifest itself in, in more strongly in certain currencies like the peso and the rupiah, which I just mentioned. So I'm not overly concerned or at least I won't attach that kind of panicky concern uh, as one would when you see headlines like Bloomberg just came out with a headline on a 25 year low or things like that 
Um, you know, so I, I, I won't be overly concerned from that perspective. Um, I saw one question, for example, being posted um, in, in, I don't know whether you want to take that now since we're talking about the ringgit, Sinji. Um, someone posted um, a question on ringgit depreciation causing, for example, um, importing of corn that is used in chicken feed um, that will result then in higher, uh, first of all, higher importation costs and that would then move on to so-called higher chicken feed costs and therefore higher chicken prices locally at the end of the day. We always must remember that it is not... It, it, everything while priced in dollars itself. Okay, um, We must also remember that at the end of the day, um, we are moving towards uh, de-dollarization. There are certain countries which have also started to... to to pay maybe in 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 um, other currencies, and even if we use dollar as the so-called um, uh, middle currency itself, at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves how is the other side doing with respect to the dollar. So in this particular example, I just had a quick look um, at Malaysia's um, situation with, or rather, Malaysia's uh, imports of corn, and I've just found out I never knew this before that. The, um, that Malaysia actually the biggest trading partner in terms of import of corn or maize is Argentina. 74% um, of imports of Malaysian corn or rather import of corn into Malaysia comes from Argentina itself. And then a quick look at the Argentinian peso versus that of the Malaysian ringgit you would see for the past one year um, the ringgit has actually strengthened against the Argentinian uh, peso itself by a whopping 127%. Okay? And this is, of course, due to Argentina having its own issue. So it clearly tells you that, yes, while the ringgit has weakened against the dollar per se, um, it could be that the ringgit still maintains a fairly good position in certain areas, not all. But in this particular case, if you're talking about importing corn from Argentina, um, then the ringgit is actually stronger uh, versus the Argentinian peso. So again, um, I think we have to be cautious uh, when we just start to to, 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 to to say, oh, the ringgit is weak, the ringgit is weak, the ringgit is weak. When compared to the dollar, probably yes. Compared to cross-currencies, every currency is weakening in the ringgit. If the ringgit weakens by 10% against the dollar, if the Thai baht weakens by 10% against the dollar, you put them together, ringgit baht doesn't move anywhere. Okay? So just, a, just an example, I'm not saying this is the case, but it's, the le it's less so obvious uh, when you do cross-currencies. Yeah, good point you mentioned over there. And Mr. Sunny Han, we've been here before, right? I mean, in, in July, we, we really talked in detail uh, when the ringgit hit 4.66, everybody was panicking, and now it's already 4.77. And uh, people are using this opportunity to you know, lay blame on Bank Nagara Malaysia and the current administration. We try not to get too political, okay? They are requesting uh, the central bank to do something. Anwar, uh, finance minister, please turn on the jets for the ringgit. But Han, what can they do in this scenario, right? Looking at the ringgit depreciating by 7 over percent this year. 
um, what can they do versus what should they do, I guess, is, is two different things. But, uh, you know, you ask what can they do. So, yes, uh, uh, provided we, you know, again, like our fiscal position is, is, is improving, 4.3% deficit, not the best, but not bad. Um, so provided things like that are stable, our M2, sorry, money supply in Malaysia is quite stable. It increases about five-ish, five-ish percent, five, five or so, maybe less than five in recent years, uh, increases by that much every year. Um, so things like that need to be stable. So you have got your stable position and then you, uh, you can, uh, uh, defend your currency, right? Uh, I mean, it's a short-term measure un until, until, for example, the U.S. pivots. Uh, um, and then you just hope for hope hope to hell that they do before you run out of the, your firepower, right? So they can do that. Whether they should is is a big question. And most economists or most uh, kind of uh, bankers or central bankers or the, the the guys in the suits will tell you don't do that, don't do that. You know, uh, you 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 have uh, your reserves. It protects you when you start using your reserves, then your currency will get attacked. Sure, sure. I think. Uh, but if you telegraph, hey, look, I'm going to use 20% of my reserves to shore up my currency, right? Um, hey, market, how much how much firepower do you have like, to focus on a small currency like mine? Uh, especially given that everything else I have is pretty stable. Stable fiscal de deficit, uh, uh, stable money supply growth, uh, stable banking system, etc., etc. So for me, that's a case of uh, you can do that. Whether you should is a separate issue, and I personally don't think they should. Um because, you know, like, take care of your house and, and how people view your house will change over time, right? So for us, we just got to take care of our house and then the, the ringgit will follow, right? Um, now, there's some kind of cyclical, uh, medium-term US dollar strength. Uh, and this won't last, right? Uh, I think most major institutions here are expecting the ringgit to finally strengthen next year uh, when the US dollar, uh, when the, sorry, when the US people... Uh, pivot as a result of uh, 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 going too far with the rate hikes and too long, higher for longer, right? Uh, too high, too long, right? And then they, I mean, uh, it is ine inevitable that it would, it would turn and then that's when the ringgit naturally will recover versus the US dollar, right? Uh, but more important for us to focus on kind of our, our neighbours, right? How are we doing versus our, our other trading partners, Singapore, China, Thailand, uh, Japan, right? As long as we are fairly stable, with those, I don't think we have to panic too much. Yeah, and we also previously mentioned that uh, short-term-wise, Bank Nagara Malaysia's mandate is to ensure financial stability, right? And their power only extends to reducing the day-to-day -day volatility of the ringgit. They don't have the capability, contrary to popular belief, uh, to quote-unquote turn on the jets for the ringgit. Yeah, so uh, even if they want to do that, uh, they wouldn't because they would have to burn through a large amount of their foreign currency reserves and that is ultimately not a sustainable solution to the problem. Right? So Mr. Sani, same question. Um, people requesting Bank Nagara Malaysia and Anwar to do something, uh, what can they do in this scenario? Um, I think you, you've, Han and yourself have answered the question. Um, they, the ringgit is basically an indicator of demand and supply for the local currency vis-a-vis -vis the other currency we're talking about. Whether it's, if it's Ringgit and Singh, is then Ringgit versus demand and supply for Singh. Uh, vis and Ringgit, dollar Ringgit, and then dollar against the Ringgit. Yeah. So at the end of the day, um, it is really 
a function of asking ourselves is, let's say, just take dollar ringgit, for example. Is this strength in dollar ringgit caused by excessive strong dollar strength by itself? Or is, does, is there part of it which is caused by actual ringgit weakness in itself? Can we separate it out? Can we determine whether this is solely dollar strength? Because if it's dollar strength, it is it is something which is out of control of of of, of the um, current government and also Benegara. It is something that permeates throughout the whole region and throughout the whole world. Every single currency in the world is weakening against the dollar. Okay, is or is it specifically ringgit weakening? Whereas everybody, every other regional currency is strengthening against the dollar, and ringgit is weakening against the dollar. Then that tells you, aha there's something wrong with the ringgit and it's not so much of dollar strength. From what we can tell and from what we can see and Han has mentioned it, the big bulk of it looks to be from dollar strength, less so of ringgit weakness. Okay. So, you know, why would Bank Nagara want to go against a general dollar strength trend which cut across, uh, cut, cuts across all currencies to try and defend something where there is a moving train which just moves one way. You know, why should they do that? You know, unless, as you mentioned correctly, there is excessive speculation, there is excessive movements, then it's not Bank Nagara wanting to change the trend, but Bank Nagara wanting to reduce that excessive volatility, which is what they are supposed to do. So they seldom try and change what we call the trend of the currency, um, they try and smooth it. The only time we've probably seen uh, an attempt to change the trend is back when, um, during Mahathir's time, when they packed the ringgit at 3.8. Okay. Um, so that was really an extreme thing. We, I mean, we won't go through that. Uh, but otherwise, it's more to reduce volatility. Um, and if there's something wrong with the ringgit, then the question, of course, is addressing that that's something otherwise, you know, again, intervention, like you correctly mentioned, Shinji, you know, with, with, with um, uh, reserves, you know, of 100 over million US dollars, it's, you know, you can't fight um, the forex market, which is just multiple, multiple times of that. It's, you're just going to burn through your reserves in a very short period of time. Yeah? And to just make a short note, um, the ringgit is, again, not easy to speculate on because up to today, it still remains a non-internationalized currency. Um, and so there is probably less, much less speculation. Is the, only time, the only way you can, and I, I stand to be corrected, uh, the only way you can probably speculate is, is offshore is using uh, non-deliverable forwards, NDFs. Uh, but just purely the traditional way of dollar ringgit, selling uh, ringgit, buying dollars and such, is less so of a problem at, uh, during this time. Yeah, so definitely um, short-term-wise, uh, things are not really looking good for the ringgit like, because uh, we talked about yeah, it. So, 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 so that's the thing. So I think, I think it's important to term it correctly. So when, when I see headlines and I see people mention things are not good for the ringgit, it tends to suggest that it's a ringgit problem. Where else it's probably not a ringgit problem. It's dollar strength. So it's actually ringgit, rupiah, but 
peso, everybody's having that problem together with the ringgit. Um, so I think uh, it it should be termed as this dollar strength is causing a regional issue, is causing widespread weakness in terms of regional currencies. Um, I know it's very difficult. I think it's just the normal way of saying things. Dollar ringgit is up, ringgit is weak and such. But I think if you really decipher it, um, the correct way is it's dollar strength. You know, something like that. Yeah, definitely. But the uh, one that grabs more headlines is the one that is definitely uh, when we talk about the ringgit's weakness itself. <laughs> but let's um, transition into the Q&A session right now. For those of you guys who have any questions, uh, you guys can send us a DM or request to be a speaker in this space. We'll immediately approve you and then uh, we'll discuss about your questions with these speakers. Alternatively, you can also comment uh, within this Twitter space and I will take a look at these questions and post it to the speakers. So the first question that we have is from one of our patrons. Uh, if World War Three is coming, uh, any suggestions on how I should allocate my portfolio. Wow. Uh, <laughs> this is not... Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I will tell you the answer straight away. Buy, probably buy a ticket to New Zealand, try and get PR status there, stay on one of the islands, keep quiet, and maybe find a bunker there or something like that. <laughs> we need to slap a, we need to slap a non-financial advice. <laughs> that, that, that one is probably... Non-life advice. Non-life non advice. Non advice. <laughs> if you're talking about World War Three. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, um, let's dive into it, uh, okay? Because uh, right now there's a lot of conflicts, right? And and um, we don't dive into the conflicts itself, but uh, let's talk about how we can allocate our portfolio and diversify it, okay? Without going too much into the detail, because we are stepping on a very thin line of financial advice over here. Uh, Mr. Sunny, what do you think? Okay, so. Um well, it's not financial advice when if I, as long as I don't talk about specific funds and such. Um, as an economist, yeah, yeah. I can give you what we think. And I've, I've, actually, two days ago, we I had a session with our clients to update them. So we basically think that the markets, the equity markets, are probably poised for a down leg um, um, into the next couple of weeks or next couple of months. Uh, long delayed. Uh, it's been holding up. It's been retreating a little bit from, from the highs of um, um, July, June and July. Uh, we think there's more room to the downside. The, the, the bond markets have reacted already. We've, we've seen the uptick in yields in the US, um, now uh, led by US Treasuries. Now we've seen uh, high yield spreads moving higher and a little bit of an uptick in what we call the so-called um, uh, high-grade bonds itself. Um, and that's very typical of how markets move, bond markets move first and equity markets get pressured and such. Um, so in that scenario, uh, we are asking clients to be a bit more defensive. Um, but we must differentiate between clients who, number one, some of them have long-term goals. Most of them have long-term goals. Um, some of them are accustomed to sitting through these kind of volatilities because they say, look, as long as 10 years from now, 20 years from now is higher, I don't want to try and in and out a little bit. I just keep it there. It's fine. Okay, fine. I think that's the best clients to have. 
There are some clients who will say, I'm a bit jittery reading about this. I don't can't sleep at night. It tends to show you that there's a little bit of a mismatch between their, their, their portfolio and their risk profile. So we tend to tweak their portfolio. So we tend to recommend, we tend to recommend tweaks. Okay, maybe we need to go underweight, shift out maybe 10, 15, 20% from equities into bonds itself or even to money markets and, you know, to, to lower down the volatility of your portfolio to make sure that you are able to sleep better at night and so on. Yeah, so those are the things that we're doing uh, at the moment. Um, um, we're not trying to wholesale, get out, go in, change everything. Uh, we do have our views on certain certain asset classes and certain sub-asset classes. Uh, but again, I think just talking in general, that's what we're we are advising our clients. All right. Okay, so uh, the key point to take away over here is that Mr. Sunny expects the equity market, which means the Malaysian market or the uh, US equity market to the, yeah, uh, take we, a leak yeah, down. We, we, Specifically, is the U.S. market. Um, oh, okay, specifically, okay, okay, and and okay. I mean, by because of that, we can't run away from the fact that everybody else is going to follow the U.S. So it's it's right, just going right. to lead, and 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 then we're going to see. Well, I'm not calling for a crash, but the fact of the matter is, you know, um, we think that the markets are due for at least a correction down, or at least moving away from from. You know, it wasn't too long ago last year that we were roughly three five, three six. Those levels are. From a valuation perspective, from an earnings per share perspective, from a PE perspective, to us, it's much a much better reflection of of, of what we think lies ahead. Mm. Okay, uh, thank you so much, Mr. Sunny. Uh, Han, same question. Any suggestions on how we should uh, allocate, diversify our portfolio, considering the conflicts right now? Uh, you said World War Three specifically, right? I think that's the question. Uh, so I'll answer. The, <laughs> so yeah. I will answer that hypothetical. So then you, uh, you know, there is not financial advice because we are not in World War Three at the moment. And even if we were, it would be depend on the nature of the World War Three, right? For example, is it a nuclear World War Three or is it a non-nuclear World War Three? Uh, if a nuclear World War Three, I guess portfolio don't matter already, lah. Uh, but if it's a non-nuclear World War III, I think, um, I mean, where I'm looking at, if I'm sitting in Malaysia, I'll say it for my own portfolio. Uh, uh, in, in a crisis, what you want are, are safe assets. Safe meaning uh, safe from a perspective of uh, a lower risk to the economic cycle. So I would stay away from the cyclical stuff. Uh, uh, that's one, if you're in equities. Uh, number two, I'll stay away from the long duration stuff if you're in bonds. I mean, we've seen that already play out in the last kind of six months, not just conflict driven, but like uh, macro driven, right? Bonds at the long end really getting killed. Uh, so stay short, stay safe, stay nimble on that side. Um, make sure you have a, a reasonable allocation to crisis assets. What do I mean by crisis assets, right? Um, assets which are uh, harder, right? Uh, the, the big one, gold, comes to mind. The second big one, I guess now, is Bitcoin, right? Uh, in, a, in a world that where there's war, uh, um, you know, and um, and people are looking for... Uh, and, and in a war, there is, there's there's conflict and then there's, there's refugees and the people leaving their houses and leaving their homes, leaving their countries. Uh, things like gold and Bitcoin are things, are ways for those people. I'm not saying we will be those people. I'm just saying people who leave their countries and need to settle elsewhere. Uh, big movements, big movements, like people go to New Zealand and what bunker is it, Sunny? 
<laughs> yes, uh, correct. <laughs> uh, people going there need to find a way to move their wealth there. Gold and Bitcoin is not a bad way to, to go. So for me, I'm not saying that uh, you should buy gold and buy Bitcoin and move to another country. I'm saying that uh, in, a, in a kind of conflict scenario, global conflict scenario, you can see a large number of people needing to hold trade, uh, uh, hold trade and value their wealth in those assets, which will naturally have an upwards uh, slant towards it. Um, in a conflict, what you'll find is a lot of the financialization stuff uh, will start to unravel, meaning assets which are based on you know highly financialized worlds uh, start to unravel a little bit. So what you want is more hard assets. What I mean by that, you know, commodity-based uh, equities or commodities themselves are they going to do well, right? Because uh, in a in a in a broken world, uh, best way to call that, uh, uh, you will see you know supply chains breaking too, which we all know in the last two, three years, what happens when supply chains break, uh, uh, commodity prices just go through the roof. Uh, for, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just facts, right? It's not, it's not speculation. When, 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 when economies break, sorry, when, when conflict breaks out and there's, there's disruptions in supply chains due to war, uh, uh, commodities, uh, things which are based on the real world, not the digital world, uh, tend to perform better. So... I must. I note that I have not explained how to allocate your portfolio. I'm just giving you some themes to think about uh, in this hypothetical World War Three scenario. Right. So I don't know if that covers enough uh, for the questioner. I think that covers more than enough, now because we are, you know, threading on the thin line of financial advice over here. Uh, by the way, guys, we are in our Q and A session right now. Just a quick reminder: you guys can ask questions, uh, DM us. We will ask your question anonymously or comment on the Twitter space, bottom right-hand corner, there's a comment section. Or if you're feeling brave, you can also request to be a speaker, directly talk to these speakers, and uh, we will talk about your questions. So we have probably one or two more questions left. Uh, the next question is, yeah, we, we talked about Go just now, right? Okay, and, and Han, you briefly talked about how these assets may go up due to the war. I'll pass the question to Mrs. Sunny. Uh, what are your thoughts on gold, Bitcoin? Uh, this, 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 this guy or girl is, di is directly saying that should I invest in it right now? <laughs> so that would be direct. Now I'll give you, I'll give you our views on it, or in a, in a in a way like in a quite generic way, I would say. Uh, Hans Han talked about spoke about hard assets or at least assets which are considered to be safe havens. It's a, one interesting point is. People are now realizing that um, U.S. Treasuries or U.S. bonds, Treasury bonds, may no longer be as safe as one would one one thought before. Uh, I mean, you, the long dated bonds itself, um, some of them have gone down forty percent, fifty percent since twenty twenty. You don't expect to hold a U.S. Treasury bond and see uh, mark to market losses of of twenty, thirty, forty, fifty percent. Um, you know, that's not something you expect from an uh, asset that's called safe haven and such. Um, so that could actually play in the hands of gold um, and to a certain extent also uh, uh, Bitcoin, for example. Um, but again, uh, gold will be the first choice of institutions because it's been around. Uh, uh, central banks hold it in their reserves prior to this and even now they're, 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 they're actually buying a lot. Uh, less so with, with, with Bitcoin because, again, I think it still has to overcome the regulatory hurdle before institutions can, can uh, en masse um, go in in a big way. Uh, but 
I think it was I think it's quite interesting to see that we are it's a world I would think is probably running out of safe havens. So that could work in the in in the in the favor of what the two assets you mentioned, uh, uh, gold and, and probably Bitcoin further down the road. Yeah. Uh, definitely something that you guys can consider, but uh, don't go back home today and immediately allocate your entire portfolio in gold. We're just providing our opinions over here. Okay, So uh, that brings us to the end of our session tonight. Uh, there are no more questions left for us. Let me just quickly take a look at my DMs. Uh, there are no more questions left also. Uh, before we end the session, just want to quickly remind you guys, if you miss any of the earlier parts, don't worry, it's entirely recorded. Okay, you can listen to the recording right after I end this Twitter space. Alternatively, if you want to have a clearer recording, the one that doesn't have a lot of noises, etc., uh, that will be up on our Spotify by early next week. Okay, so um, let me just quickly take a look at the comments again. I think there's one more question. Uh, this one is from AR. Okay. What should the government do except for a general awareness on the actual facts on the subsidy? Should micro or macroeconomics be introduced in school so generally the future generation would understand the basic concept of supply chain? Uh, Mr. Sunny, what do you think? You're an economist, right? Should, so, so should everybody learn about the economy or not? <laughs> uh, well, I don't think they need to... Well. I mean, ideally, they should have some basic understanding. Um, so probably trying to bring economics, because right now, when, when do you study economics? You study economics basically, SPM, no, right? A-levels, right? I'm not sure, because I, 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 I myself, back then, only started to take economics in uh, A-levels, or in Malaysia would be STPM or, or such. So to bring it down one level to, let's say, the SPM level, or tingkatan satu sampai tingkatan lima, you know, that, that would be a good thing. Very basic stuff. Um, it's good. It's good to understand all these things. But the most simplest, easiest way is to try and connect, in my view, with, with, with the rakyat through simple concepts, going down very effectively using social media, uh, making them understand simple, simple principles, uh, I think that's that's good. Even social media, even like now, for example, I'm pretty sure many people in this room, um, prior to being part of the Twitter family, the X family, um, and compared to when you first joined and now, you've probably improved your understanding of, of, of economics in general uh, many, many times. You wouldn't have been as, as educated, so to say, as knowledgeable had you not joined uh, X or, or Twitter. So, so, so you see, it's 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 multi multifaceted in terms of how you 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 gain that knowledge. Uh, the only thing you need to ensure is you gain it in the correct manner. Yeah, yeah. Han, you want to take a bite on this question as well? Economics should it be taught in schools? Um, I think it is already. It's just not mandatory. So it's a case of uh deciding whether I want to bring it earlier a year or two because right now uh you know you can you can learn it in form four and form five already. I would at least during my time. Sorry, I'm dating myself already. Um but uh but for me it's not the case, right? For example, I mean Sunny will know in Singapore they don't do that, right? Like ten year olds I don't learn about economics, twelve year olds don't know about economics. But the communication around 
uh, why the government does what they do is, is solid, right? You know, we're increasing GST. Everyone supports it. Why? Because they can see where it's going towards the health, uh, health, uh, looking after the elderly, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, Builds yeah. a lot of trust in, yes. in, in, in things like taxes or, or in our case, removing subsidies, right? If we go, hey, look, we're going to remove all subsidies, right? That's going to save us 30 billion. And guess what? Like uh, 20 billion of that is going to go to people who are earning less than uh, 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 6,000 ringgit a month or, or so, whatever. And, you know, it's going to split ac- equally across everybody. And sorry, people earning above 10,000 or whatever, you might have to pay more. Uh, but we have to help the people f- uh, uh, who are not earning enough. We have a wage issue in this country, blah, blah, blah. Things like that. Simple messaging, right? You don't have to have a degree in economics to understand that simple messaging, right? Where you go, hey, look, 30 billion ringgit, more than half is enjoyed by people with household income above 12,000 ringgit. So that's the kind of thing that people can see that it's fair. And when you communicate that way and then you go, look, there's no wastage because we're giving it directly back to, to lower income people. Now, I, that's just one way to do it, by the way. I'm not saying the government should do this. I'm just saying uh, whatever they do decide to do, clear, simple communication. You don't need an economics degree. Yeah, you, you, you must have read my my tweet which I haven't sent out yet <laughs> because I wrote something, I put it in my draft I had I haven't managed to send out but it was with respect to the uh, increase in GST in Singapore from 8 to 9%, I'll probably post it after this. Uh. So in Singapore, you're absolutely right um, and I think because I think you stayed here for, for some time um, the communication to the ground is this is, what, this is why we're doing it this is why we need to do it these are the benefits of it. These are who are the people who will benefit. You know, they, 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 they do very well um, um, in terms of communicating it to the ground and such. Um, but actually, the thing that seals it is the fact that here, the basic necessities of any citizen in any country are basically a handful of things. Everybody wants a good education system for their children. Everybody wants job opportunities so that I can bring food back for my family and put it on the table. Everybody wants housing, which is affordable. Everybody wants good health care, so if my kids get sick, at least I know they're taken care of. And everybody wants a sense of security so that I know that if my children go out, you know, they don't get shot and, and so on and so forth. Anywhere in the world, you provide these five things and you provide them at a good level or quality level and you come to me and you say I'm, I need to increase GST by 1% there is this sense that I trust you because you've given me, you've delivered to me what the basic items that I need to, to, to live a happy life with my family or bring up my family Yeah, so I'm willing, I'm, I'm sometimes grudgingly because it's again an increase but the resistance is less because I'm saying I've got you've, uh, this social contract between the government and, 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 and the people itself is you provide me these things, I will still vote for you. I will accept that the fact that I trust that when you increase GST by 1%, it's a necessary thing because you've proven that you have used money, you have delivered these things to me, and so therefore, fine, it's okay. You know, so so so, education is one thing, but when people can see that the government has delivered on its promises, in especially in these five areas, which I consider to be foundational, 
um, I think people are then the, then the resistance is less because otherwise today is like lah GST nak nak reintroduce ataupun GST naik and stuff like that and yet I don't get uh, all these things housings are expensive cost of living jobs are are, are not there you know low paying wages healthcare system is this education system is that so again it just boils back to me you solve this fundamental stuff you get less resistance when you try and do these other things like increasing GST. Yeah, thank you so much for your train of thoughts over there, Mr. Sunny. And uh, that concludes our session tonight. Hopefully you guys in the audience learned something valuable. Uh, let's just bring it back to our speakers one more time. Okay, Han, uh, wrapping up the session itself, do you have any last words uh, for the audience or for the youngsters or in general about Budget 2024? Um, wow, we spoke for about an hour plus, so let me just think about how to summarize. I think... Long story short, budget 2024, um, the direction is good, right? Let's be clear, right? In terms of uh, uh, targeted new taxes that impact only certain groups, uh, the direction is clear around reducing subsidies uh, and, and channeling them in the right areas, right? Increasing sumbangan, tunai, rahma, etc. Uh, but for me, direction is one part. Quantum is another part. I think the quantum could have been... Uh, much higher uh, and, and and then the reciprocal you know support for the people most affected can be higher too right uh, so if you ask me somewhere in that budget is good direction not far enough right and then you know and how it affects the ringgit I don't I think we should try not to politicize it right uh, as Mr. Sunny said dude it's it's like 80-90% due to US dollar slash global uh, uh, global factors don't, don't just focus on 477 and then Say, look, it's, it's not working. We need to change government. All that stuff. That's, uh, I can promise you, uh, uh, this that's not the that's not the answer. Uh, 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 for me, stability is better than instability. We have the opportunity to change government in a couple of years' time, maybe three years' time. Let's let's do that then, right? Meanwhile, let's just pin them to do better for us. The right, yeah, right. Force them or that put pressure on them to do better for us. The government that we do have. Yeah, uh, thank you so much, Han. Uh, passing it over to Mrs. Sani. Last words for the session okay. tonight before you wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, um, anything for the audience, yeah. etc. I, I think the next step for the current government is to now uh, tighten up the screws on certain um, aspects which will allow whatever that's been announced in the budget uh, to be delivered in a high quality uh, manner, um, you know, because I mentioned it earlier, we've seen budgets over the years and such. On paper, it looks nice. Allocations have been made to education, to 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 healthcare and such, but the delivery itself has fallen short. Where you don't see that numbers on 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 the budget paper itself on paper being translated. Uh, to the ground in terms of productivity, higher growth, um, um, and so on. Uh, because we've always failed when it comes to delivery uh, and, so, and so on. And there are certain aspects relating to that, which is, for example, accountability. If you don't make people accountable for failing to deliver whatever the budget has put forth, then it will never ever 
there will never ever be a culture of respond, being responsible to deliver quality, a quality delivery. If you don't stem corruption and prevent, prevent leakages from happening, then you can have a biggest budget in the whole wide world. But at the end of the day, when it trickles down to the right yard, it's just going to be peanuts. So while the budget itself looks okay, I think it's these measures by the side that, that, that the screws by the side that really needs to, to be tightened up uh, to be imposed so that 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 piping there doesn't have bochos and so on so forth so by the time the water reaches the end of that pipe it's just a trickle you know so I think that's the thing which has been missing all the while and I hope to see stronger laws on corruption stronger laws or regulations on accountability, making sure that those who are responsible to deliver these things to the riot, if they don't, there is a punishment attached to it, you know, um, I, in any manner, so that people realise that, eh, there is a repercussion if I don't up my standard, if I don't deliver quality uh, service to, 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 to at the end of the day. Uh, so I hope that's what I really hope to see, you know, in the next coming weeks or months, uh, because the, the 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 pipe is open now, the budget has opened. So, but the this this so-called uh, uh, piping you know, has a lot of lubang, so those lubangs need to be covered. Yeah. So, uh, if there are any politicians listening in right now, uh, you guys know, you guys kind of know what to do already. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Han Sunny, the speakers for agreeing to join our session here tonight. Uh, for those of you guys who missed the earlier part of the session, do not worry. It's all recorded. You can listen to it right after I end this session. You can also check out our Spotify. It's at The Futurists to listen to all our previous episodes. Okay, we've done like easily 7 to 10 episodes with these speakers already and we talked about Ring It, Bank Nagara Malaysia, Banking Crisis, so many stuff that we talked about. Okay? And um, before we end the space, do us a quick favour click on the profiles of these two knowledgeable speakers right, and follow them. Yeah, be sure to keep track of their tweets. And uh, while you're at it, you can follow us as well. All right, guys. Uh, thank you so much for joining. Good night. Stay safe. And we'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye. Thank you.